question day. If you have your Bibles there on your lap as you're sitting in your recliner, in your office, at the kitchen table, in front of the TV, wherever you are, if you would turn to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 28. We're going to look at the first seven verses this morning. Matthew 28 verses 1 through 7. giving you a chance to turn to, the, to Matthew's Gospel. So, All right, starting in verse 1, we read, Now after this Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. And he said, Come, see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And indeed, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. The title of my message this morning is, It's Time to Believe. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can gather together in our homes, wherever we're at, but with the technology that we have, that we can gather together as a church and to be able to be online, in tune to this Bible study, this time together. Lord, where we can look to your word and look to see what you accomplished for us upon the cross. Father, what a joy it is to know that wherever we're at as your church, you are there in our midst. And it's still your desire to touch our hearts, to speak to our hearts, and to move in our lives. And Father, we do pray if there's anyone that is tuning in right now, or will tune in later, that doesn't have a personal relationship with your son Jesus Christ, they don't know for sure that their sin is forgiven, that if they were to die today, they would go to heaven. Father, would you especially speak to their hearts this morning. Touch them, open their eyes to see their need for you. So Lord, we ask that you would bless our time together. We commit it to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, now it's time to do what we do every year when you're here. And even though you're not here, being online is no different. It's time to proclaim that Jesus Christ is risen. Now, usually when I say he is risen, as Laura pointed out this morning, when I say he is risen, you say he is risen indeed. But since you're not here in person, since we have to do things a little differently, I will say he is risen. I want you to say he is risen indeed from your home, or better still, type it in the comment box there, he is risen indeed after I say he is risen. So to give us a chance to, to really... Uh, you know, hook up together, you know. Uh, and so here we go. Let's give it a shot. He is risen. He is risen indeed. See, I got the worship team here shouting it out here, so it's good for us. Now I'm going to say it again, and this time if you typed it in, this time you need to make it in all caps because we're shouting it. So here we go. He is risen. He is risen indeed. There we have. Awesome. That's why we are here this morning. Jesus Christ has indeed risen from the dead. I heard a news reporter say yesterday that this would be one of the most unique 
Easter's that we've ever had. I beg to differ. Some 2,000 years ago was the most unique Easter we ever had. The day Jesus Christ rose from the dead. That's what Easter is all about. That's why we are tuning in this morning. The time to celebrate that the grave could not hold our Savior Jesus Christ. He rose from the dead. And if you don't believe that, then with all that's going on in this world, I'm here to tell you this morning, it's time to believe. Now, if you're taking notes, we are going to see three things this morning. Number one, it's time for faith, not fear. Number two, it's time for joy, not sorrow. And number three, it's time for a decision, not an indecision. Look now at verse one. We read, now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. Now, thank God for these women, because the, the men, you know, they were still held up, locked behind closed doors in fear. But these women had the courage to go down to that grave that Easter morning. Now, one we see mentioned here is Mary Magdalene, the Mary Jesus delivered from seven demons that had possessed her. The other Mary is difficult to identify. Tradition uh, has it that she was the mother of James and John. Remember them, the sons of thunder, as Jesus called them. We read now in verse 2, And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. Now it's estimated that the stone was about four feet high, and, and with the estimated thickness, it would weigh about two tons. Now, we know from the other Gospels that, that these women were going to grave to finish off the preparation of his burial, that they were bringing sweet spices to anoint Jesus' body. Jesus died Friday afternoon, and at sundown, it was the Sabbath, and no one could work on the Sabbath, so they had a very hurried preparation of his body, and, and they buried Jesus, but they hadn't finished the task. And so they got up early Sunday morning there and, and at sunrise, which was at the end of the Sabbath, and they were going to the tomb to prepare the body. And as they're walking along in Mark's Gospel, chapter 16, it tells us that they said, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? But when they got there, it was already figured out. God had already taken care of it. An angel came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. The Greek would indicate that the stone was actually picked up and thrown to one side. And uh, I have shared this before. I picture this incredible Hulk angel, you know, just with all the muscle. He just picks it up and puts it to one side. Can we show the picture of, of our, the angel that I found there? There he is. Took me about a half hour to find that picture. That's what, in my mind, that's what I picture. Okay, you can take it down. But then God's word says that this angel, after moving the stone to one side, then he sat on it. I love that. The Lord sends the angel to move the stone, and then the angel is just sitting there waiting for the ladies to show up. Now understand, the angel didn't roll away the stone so Jesus could get out, but for, so that the woman could get in, so that the woman could see what is going on, to see that Jesus Christ truly was raised from the dead. See, Jesus had gone from a mortal body to an immortal body. He had gone from a physical body to a spiritual, eternal body. As Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, corruption must put on incorruption. 
mortality must put on immortality. And then it's brought to pass the saying, death is swallowed up in victory. And that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the greatest victory that there ever has been or ever will be. And so the women get to the tomb. They see the stone has been rolled away. This brings us to point number one. It's time for faith, not fear. We really look at verse 3, speaking of this angel. His countenance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid. Stop there for a moment. Now any time you have a human being encountering some glorious experience with God, you have a typical reaction like this. The angel or the Lord will say, do not be afraid. This is merely a human reaction to a a supernatural interaction. Whether it's Moses or Daniel or Jeremiah or Isaiah or Ezekiel, whenever they encountered some special vision or experience from the Lord, they would get very afraid. I think the Apostle John there in Revelation chapter 1, when he sees the Lord Jesus, he writes this in Revelation 1, verse 17 and 18. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. Why would John not need to fear? Because Jesus said, Do not be afraid. It is me, John. I am the first. I am the last. I'm the beginning and the end. I was dead, but now I live forevermore. You see, you and I, we live in a day of uncertainty. We don't know what the future is going to hold. And some of us, well, some of us can get quite worried about it. Fears about the coronavirus, the the COVID-19 are not unwarranted. And they should not be taken lightly. Now, people have listened and they followed intently the, the, the government's guidelines to social distancing and, and quarantining and businesses are, are closed. And, and, and the very least, some of the businesses are, are slowed way down with, with very few customers. People are wearing masks and, and not gathering for more than 10 people. Never before in our generation have we seen something like this in our country, in our nation, in the world. There's a lot of fear. But it's not just fear in catching the virus, but now it seems that the fear that we see now is what's going to happen after we start to open things up again. Will the economy rebound? Will the virus rebound? And then you hear things like Bill Gates encouraging a national tracking system with a, a digital certificate showing who has recovered or been tested recently and, or when we have the vaccine, who has received it. And it makes many Christians uneasy. And then all the conspiracies start. Did special guest Tom Hanks really predict the coronavirus on an episode of The Simpsons? Or was it really a thriller novel by Dean Koontz? Or or was it Disney's Tangled? I read that one this morning. Disney's Tangled is a Rapunzel story updated. The film is about a girl who is forced into isolation and lives in a town called Corona. All sorts of bizarre theories and ideas that can bring fear to anyone who's not grounded in the Word of God. And people today are fearful. People are concerned about the economy. They're concerned with their jobs. There's a lot of unknowns. 
The bottom line is people are afraid because they don't know what the future is going to hold and that scares them. But God wants you to know something this morning. He would like you to know that He is in control and you have every reason to be confident as you look to your future. We're told in Psalm 121, verse 1 and 2, I will lift up my eyes to the hills from whence comes my help. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. My help comes from the Lord. Lord, yeah, He's the one who made heaven and earth. I mean, He can help me. You know, it's been rightly said, we don't know what tomorrow may hold, but we know who holds our tomorrows. Listen, you have every reason to be confident. Why? Because the Lord tells us not to fear. I think of the prophet Isaiah over in Isaiah chapter 6. He had a vision of the Lord. And it says there in Isaiah 6, 1, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on His throne, high and lifted up. King Uzziah was a very godly, uh, righteous, strong, powerful king. And Isaiah gets this vision in the year that King Uzziah died. Now, Isaiah and everybody else in Israel, they were kind of in limbo. There was this huge problem. What's going to happen in our nation? What's going to happen in our future? Things are about to change radically. King Uzziah had died. Who's going to take over the throne? What's going to go on? But just in the nick of time, Isaiah says, I saw the Lord sitting on His throne. In other words, God is in control. I like that. I saw the Lord sitting on His throne. God is not standing around His throne, pacing back and forth, wondering, sweating, what am I going to do with this pandemic going on in this world? Uh, What is happening here? Wringing His hands, panicking over the whole thing. No, He's got it all under control. He's taking it, sitting down. This is all according to his plan. I think of the song Waymaker. We sang it this morning. It's a beautiful song. And and the the lyrics just speak to our hearts. He is the waymaker, the miracle worker, the promise keeper, light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. There's a song that came out many years ago by Casting Crowns called Just Beheld. One of the verses fits so perfectly with what's going on in our world today. It reads this. So when you're on your knees and answers seem so far away, you're not alone. Stop holding on and just be held. Your world's not falling apart. It's falling into place. I'm on the throne. Stop holding on and just be held. If your eyes are on the storm, you'll wonder if I love you still. But if your eyes are on the cross, you'll know I always have and I always will. I believe that. When Jesus was out in the storm uh, there, or the disciples of Jesus were out in the storm and in, in, the, in the sea, they thought that the boat was going to sink. Bible tells us that they were afraid until they saw Jesus walking on the water. And even that didn't help because at first they thought that he was a ghost. So they were terrified. But Jesus addressed them by saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, don't be afraid. Literally, the Greek language there is, be a good share. I am that I am. Don't be afraid. The title of God. You see, fear and death cannot dwell in the same heart. They're mutually exclusive. If you're fearful, it's going to push out your faith. If you have faith, that'll banish your fear. 
And today, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have good reason to be confident in his ability to take you into the future. I heard the story about a man who was taking a walk one night. It was a dark road. It was unfamiliar territory to the man. And he had heard that on either side of the road was a sheer drop-off on the road. But he couldn't see that well. And he got too close and he slipped and he fell. And as he's careening down the ravine, flailing his arms, he finally grabs hold of a bush and he's holding on for dear life and he's crying out for help. Nobody hears him. He's still crying out. Nobody hears. He's holding on, holding on what seems like hours for him. He can't take it anymore. He finally lets go and in desperation thinks, I'm going to die. And he fell all the way down. Six inches. That's it. You see, all that needless worry for nothing, it was all right there. Isn't it amazing how much worry we do about things when God has already gone out ahead of us and taken care of everything? The resurrection of Jesus Christ truly means that we don't have to fear. We don't have to worry. Whatever the circumstances of our lives, God can take care of them. God is in control. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, I do need to be completely upfront with you from a biblical perspective. If you're not a, not a follower of Jesus Christ, then from the immortal words of Yoda, be afraid. Be very afraid. And I'll tell you why. The Bible tells us that the time that is coming to this earth in Luke chapter 21 verse 26, where it says we will see men's hearts failing them from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. There's coming a time when God will judge, and I believe it is very, very soon. Make no mistake about it. And if you don't know Jesus Christ, if you've not received the forgiveness of your sin, you certainly will face judgment. Bible says in Hebrews 9.27, it is appointed for men once to die, but after this, the judgment. So I strongly encourage you this morning, before we're done here, uh, if you've not done so, give your life to Jesus Christ today. But the bottom line here, if today you're living in fear and you're a believer in Christ, I want you to know you can be cured of that. And that cure is faith. Latch onto, grab hold of Jesus who is alive. Remember that Jesus is with you no matter what you're going through. He says, cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. That would include your fears this Easter morning. So today it's time to believe. Believe that number one, it's time for faith, not for fear. Point number two, it's time for joy, not for sorrow. Again, look at verse five. The angel of the Lord says, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here for he is risen as he said. That's why I said this is a time for joy, not for sorrow. The sorrow came first. The angel said, I know you seek Jesus who was crucified. Jesus was crucified. That brought sorrow. Why? Because the crucifixion brings death. See, we have to establish the fact of the death of Jesus before we can have a resurrection. In other words, you have to make sure there was a death before there can be a resurrection. You know, with all the sadness and trauma going on in the world at this moment, it, it's worth reflecting on the death of a very important person who almost went unnoticed. His name was Larry LaPrise, the man who wrote the Hokey Pokey song. Died peacefully at the age of 93. 
the most traumatic part of his family was getting him, in a, him into the coffin. They, they put his left leg in and, well, you know, that's where the trouble started. <laughs> Listen, in order to have a resurrection, you have to make sure there was a death. A resurrection presupposes a death. So we have to establish the fact that Jesus died physically, even though he was God, he was in a physical body and he died. You know, Jesus tried to prepare his followers for this. He warned them ahead of time. In John 16, 20, there in the upper room, Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice and you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. But that's not what any of them expected after Jesus died, including Mary Magdalene, including the other Mary. They expected to see Jesus dead. Why is that? Because they were there when they saw Jesus die. When you see someone die, you expect them to stay dead. Now, there are those who say, well, Jesus really didn't die, but that he was only in a swoon, they say. They call it a swoon theory. And that Jesus, because of the loss of blood and the exposure to the elements, and because had been awake the whole day or so before, and he'd been hanging on the cross, that Jesus just sort of swooned. He passed out, and they took his body down off the cross, and they put him in the grave. Well, with that, you have to remember that not only was he crucified, not only was there a sword thrust through his heart, piercing his heart, But when Nicodemus took him down from the cross, they prepared his body with a hundred pounds of ointment and grave cloth. These strips of cloth wrapping from him from head to toe like a mummy. Then they laid him in a grave. Then they put this two-ton stone and rolled it in front of the grave. And then they sealed it with wax. And then they went to Pilate and said, we need Roman soldiers to come and send guard so that the disciples don't come and steal the body. And we had up with more problems than we started with. So my question then is if Jesus was only swooned, how does he get out of that tomb wrapped from head to toe uh, in, in, in his grave cloths in his weakened state? How does he roll away a two-ton stone? And how then did he, did he overtake the Roman soldiers with spears and swords and armed to the teeth? And then how by any means did he then show up into the disciples' homes and convince them that he was risen from the dead? It just seems way too illogical. And then he had to convince them to the point where they would be willing to give their life to die for what they believed. Bottom line, folks, Jesus actually died. The angel says here, Jesus who was crucified, he died. That's the sorrow. But verse 6 is the sorrow turning to joy. But he is not here for he is risen. And I'll tell you why that's joy. Because if Jesus rose from the dead, it means everything else he promised is true. Follow me on this. Remember, Jesus predicted his death and resurrection over and over and over again to the disciples. They're going to take me to Jerusalem. They're going to arrest me. They're going to beat me up. They're going to kill me. But three days later, I'm going to rise from the dead. That last part completely went over their head. They didn't even hear that. They just heard the first part, I'm going to die. But he said... Three days later, I will rise. Now, if he could predict that, which he did, and it happened just as he said it would, then you can go through every other promise that he made and say, well, if he could predict his own death and resurrection and it happened, then every other promise that he made is absolutely true and will absolutely be fulfilled. 
Especially when Jesus said in John eleven twenty five, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? I believe this. I believe that promise and I believe it because Jesus rose from the dead. And if Jesus can conquer death and He promises that if we believe in Him we will conquer death as well, then we will. Plain and simple. That is what turns our sorrow into joy. You have every reason not only for confident living but for joyful living. I read a quote by Billy Sunday who once said, if you have no joy in your life and you're a Christian, there must be a leak in your Christianity somewhere. Do you believe God's Word to be God's Word? Do you believe the promises that that God has written down are for you? Then if you do, live like it and you will experience this joy. To know that Jesus Christ died and rose again from the grave to forgive you all of your sins should bring joy into your life. So today, number one, it's time for faith, not for fear. Number two, it's time for joy, not for sorrow. Finally, number three, it's time for a decision. No more indecision. Look at verses 6 and 7. The angel says, He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And indeed, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. There's a story about the great uh, violinist, Fritz Kreisler, who was leaving from Hamburg, Germany one day to give a concert in London. Fritz had about an hour to go before his boat would sail, and so he wandered into this music shop where the owner asked if he could look at the violin that he was carrying. The owner then vanished and returned with two policemen. One of them told the violinist, you are under arrest. What for, asked uh, Chrysler. You have Fritz Chrysler's violin, they said. He said, well, I am Fritz Chrysler. Oh, you can't pull that on us. Come on, come on along to the station. As Chrysler's Chrysler's boat was sailing soon. There was no time for prolonged explanations. Chrysler asked for his violin and played a piece he was well known for. Then he says, now are you satisfied? And they were. See, he needed to give proof of who he was. Look what the angel says to these women in verse 6. Come see the place where the Lord lay. In other words, look, there's proof. He is no longer here. You know, in a mausoleum in Moscow's Red Square lie the embalmed remains of Lenin. And I, and I read just yesterday, they keep embalming him over and over again so that the, the body is, keeps looking the way it does. On his casket are these words. He was the greatest leader of all people of all time. He was the Lord of the new humanity. He was the Savior of the world. Guess what? He's still there. Go to the grave of Muhammad. He's still there. Go to the grave of Buddha. He's still there. Go to the grave of Confucius. He's still there. Go to the grave of Jesus. He is not there. He is risen. The invitation is clear. Come and see for yourself the Lord is risen. In other words, it's time for a decision. No more indecision. It's time to believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins rose again from the grave on the third day, is now sitting at the right hand of God the Father, wanting to bring forgiveness, wanting to bring peace into your life, but you have to come to Him to receive it. 
Now follow me. Go back to the beginning this morning. If God is in control, if the promises Jesus made are true based upon the one uh, he made about the resurrection that happened, if all of this is true, doesn't it make sense that the best choice you can make would be to follow him, to trust in him, to surrender to him? Another verse back in Revelation, chapter 1, verse 18, Jesus put it this way, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, amen, and I have the keys of Hades and of death. What does that mean? Well, Hades and death are synonymous terms for the experience of every human being. Hades is the place. Hades just means the grave, and death is the condition. Hades is the New Testament term for the Old Testament term, Sheol. They both mean the same thing. It simply means the grave. Jesus says, I hold the keys of death and the grave. Listen, everybody's going to die at some point and everybody's going to get buried in the ground. And so when Jesus says, I have the keys, it means he has the authority. If you have keys, you have access. And I have keys in my pocket. You know, my keys that I have, you know, they, they go to the church here. They go to my house. They go to my car. You know, I have access to my car. If you have keys to a car, it means you can drive. Well, theoretically, it means you can drive. I, I don't know, you know, how good of a driver you are. Some people have keys and maybe you shouldn't have keys to your car. But, but be that as it may, if you have keys to a house, you have entry, you have access to that home. If the mayor gives you a key to the city, what does that mean? It means you have special privileges, special access, special authority. So Jesus is the man with the keys to your future. He's your designated driver, if you will, into eternity. He's the man with the keys. He controls life and death. He controls who will live forever in heaven and those who will live forever apart from him. So the smartest thing you can do this morning is, is get to know the man with the keys. And the old 70s songs put it, put your hand in the hand of the man who stills the water. I would change it this morning for it. Put your hand in the hand of the man who holds the keys to life and death. See, while you're alive on this earth, make a decision. Find the man with the keys to death and the grave and get to know him. You know, there's a, a myth in America that I just want to sort of talk about for a moment. And I want to dispel because I see a lot of it at funerals and, and it really kind of bugs me. The myth that many Americans have is, is this, that all you have to do to get to heaven is just die. That's all you got to do. And people will bring up the slightest interaction with God to prove their loved one is in heaven. Well, I know he's in heaven because I sneezed one time and he said, God bless you to me when I sneeze. And so, man, I, I know he's in heaven. People think this way. They think they can live their whole lives without God, never go to church, never read the Bible, never pray, never talk about heaven, and still go to heaven. Why is that? Because heaven is not a reality to them until someone dies. It's interesting, sort of interesting to me that at a funeral they want to talk about heaven. They'll say, say things like, well, I know he's in heaven right now. Why? I mean, why would he be there? How do you know that? If he didn't want to have anything to do with God his whole life, why would God then make him spend eternity with him? It's not automatic. Going to heaven is deliberate, it's intentional, it's a choice. So I say, get to know the man with the keys. Jesus says, I have the keys of Hades and of death. Let him drive you and your life into eternity. 
You know, people say all roads lead to God. Well, they're right at, at some point. All roads lead to God, but only one, one road leads to heaven, and that is only through Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus said in John fourteen six, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Listen, if you don't know Jesus Christ this morning, today is your day of decision, your day of choice. It's time for a decision. It's not time for indecision. In fact, Jesus put it this way in Luke eleven twenty three: He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. In other words, indecision is a decision against Jesus Christ. Jesus put it this way also in Matthew ten thirty two through thirty three. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I also will confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. See, every one of us in this place this morning is probably going to face the grave. Unless the Lord comes back before then and raptures us out of here, which I am hoping for it happens right now, as you folks know, right now. But if not... We're all going to face death. We are all going to face the grave. Our days are numbered. But if you made a decision for Christ, then the resurrection means to you and me today that we don't have to fear death. Why? Because Jesus took the sting out of death. We're told in 1 Corinthians 15, 55-57, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thank God He gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, we're all going to face death in one way or another. But the sting isn't there. The the punch isn't there any longer. You don't have to face it with fear. Let me illustrate it for you. It's been around a long time, this illustration. There was a man driving down a country road with his son, And a bee flew into the open window of the car. It was a summer's day and the boy was terrified of the bee as he was allergic to bee stings. And so the father reached out and grabbed the bee and squeezed it with his hand, waited a moment and then released it. The bee kept buzzing around the car and the boy got even more terrified. The father saw the scared look on his son's face and he said, son, you don't have to worry. And then he showed him his hand. Do you see this? You don't have to be afraid anymore. I've taken the sting for you. And the sting was there in his dad's hands. When Jesus' arms stretched out upon that cross and those nails went into his, his hands, he is saying the same thing, basically. You see this? You don't have to be afraid. I've taken the sting for you. The sting of death. So Jesus could promise, if you believe in me, even though you die, yet you shall live. So this is a day of faith, not of fear. This is a day of joy, not of sorrow. Because this is a day of decision, not indecision. It's time to believe. Now you may say, well, I don't know, Pastor. You mean if I accept Christ, if I surrender my life to Him, does that mean that from now on I'm going to be able to pay my bills? And, and, and uh, does that mean I'm going to be have, never have a flat tire? The sun's going to always shine and, and life's going to be easy forever and ever. I'm not saying that. Not saying that at all. Jesus says the rain falls on the just and the unjust alike. What I am saying are the words of a Holocaust survivor, the late Corrington Boom, who said it so well. If you look to the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. But if you look at God, you'll be at rest. Why? Because Jesus gives you peace. He's taken the sting and his promises are true. 
John 3.16, the great promise, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever would believe in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. See, if you give your life to Him, He'll change it. All will be forgiven. He'll make sure that He'll give you purpose, He'll give you meaning, and He'll give you power to live for Him. And on top of all that, He'll give you the assurance of eternity in heaven, everlasting life. I want to close with this a fictional story about the day Jesus rose from the dead. It goes like this. They put Jesus in the tomb, and he'd been dead for three days, and the devil isn't very happy about it. And he says, this man Jesus pulled so many stunts while he was alive, I just don't know what he's going to do. So he sent the demon down to check on the grave, and the demon goes down, and he reports back and says, yes, I went into the tomb, he's still there, and he's as dead as that slab he's laying on. Satan says, oh, you know, I'm just still a little uncomfortable about this. We've only got about 60 seconds left till he said he would rise. And if he does, man, we're all beat. We're all defeated. If we lose, if we, if we can't keep him there, or rather, if we can't keep him there, we win. And we can fill hell with the human race. But if he gets out, we're all sunk. The demon says, well, your majesty, we've got a stone over the grave. We've got wax over the stone. We've got a seal over the wax. We have soldiers outside. Why don't you just roll in all the sin of the world against the stone? Good idea, good idea, Satan said. So they did, but then Satan said, You know, I just feel that he still might do something. Another demon says, Your Majesty, why don't we round up every demon we can muster up in hell and on earth so we'll have the stone and the wax and the seal and the soldiers and the sin of the world and we'll get every demon to put his shoulder against that stone and for sure he won't get out. Excellent, said Lucifer. Round up every demon you can find and every demon was rounded up. So you've got the stone and the wax and the seal and the soldiers and the sin of the world and now every demon there. Satan says, I think I've got it now. Everyone hold tight. I think we've got about 20 seconds left and he starts to count down the first, the greatest countdown ever. Satan says, okay, everybody, hold it there. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, Three, two, and just as he's about to say one, he says, oh no, oh no, man, the stone, it's rolling away. And then the Holy Spirit says, one. I love it. Romans eight eleven. but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The same way that the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead can raise you from death and the wages of sin and the effect of sin and everything that Satan may want to throw at you. If you've surrendered your heart and life to Him, if you're born again this morning, you can be set free from the power of sin and death and instead be indwelt by the Spirit of Christ and the Holy, the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you as we close, if you were to die today, you know without a doubt that you would go to heaven, that you would spend eternity with the one who loves you so very much. If not, but if that's your desire, you want to know Jesus Christ this morning, you want to make that commitment to him, I want to give you this opportunity as the worship team comes up to give us the closing song. Closing song, I want to give you that opportunity before we close. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord God, for the account of the resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus, thank you for the work you did upon the cross. And Father, we pray right now, if there's anyone listening to this message that has not surrendered their heart and life to you, they're not born again this morning, 
If they were to die today, they would not go to heaven. Lord, I want them to know that they know for sure that they would go to heaven. So, Lord, would you speak to their hearts that right wherever they are at, they would stop, they would focus on you, and they would say this prayer right from their heart, right where they're at. God, I am sorry for my sin. I repent of it. Thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for every sin I've ever committed. Jesus, come into my heart. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for rising again from the dead. Thank you for forgiving me. I commit my life to you now. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, you meant it from your heart, Jesus Christ has come into your life. The Bible says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. The Bible says that as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. You are now a child of God. You are now born again. Now, if you were to die today, you would go right into God's presence, right into heaven. What a joy. Listen, if you prayed that prayer, you made that commitment to Christ, we sure would like to know about it. Would you just message us on Facebook, message us on YouTube, and, and let us know you made that commitment to Christ this morning. We want to pray for you. If you need a Bible, we want to get a Bible to you. Let us know. I would say, you know, for the rest of us, let's all stand where you're at in your home. You can stand there and let's sing to the Lord one final song this morning.